Good morning, Calvary. Good morning to our online listeners as well. We are glad you're here today. I want to start by just uh, praying for the people of especially Kentucky, although there's several regions. Um, Mayfield, I, I actually strikes a chord with me. I, I performed a wedding there once. I have some friends who have, are from there. They're fine. I've talked to them. Um, I have a Facebook friend who lost her mom um, in the, that tornado. And so if you are interested in supporting, you can go to sinrelief.org. Sinrelief.org is the North American Mission Board way to do that. But I just want to stop and pray for them if we can this morning. God, we ask that you be with those who are hurting right now. Those who are struggling from the devastation of these storms. And yet, God, we trust in your peace and your presence there. Even through the story of this daughter who said, I know my mom's with Jesus, we thank you for the fact that you've come to save us in a broken world. We give you your praise and adoration and your due while still asking for your peace and your presence in these trying times, especially for those in Kentucky. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are currently doing a series called Prophet, Priest, King. It's the idea of Jesus is the ultimate prophet. Jesus is the ultimate priest. And Jesus is the ultimate king. And last week we talked about how the prophecies foretold of the ultimate prophet that would be coming. Who would then tell us of what we're going to be able to experience for the rest of our life and into eternity. And that was last week. So it was kind of the, the anticipation of Christmas morning, if you will. Well, today we're talking about Jesus as the ultimate priest and the unwrapping of that present, which gives us his presence. This is Christmas morn. Get really excited, all right? This is the, the highlight of what we're doing. And we're going to look at it through the lens of Simeon. And setting up the idea of Simeon, we're going to look in Luke 2, uh, 21 through 24. But before we even get there, I want to just kind of talk real quickly about and ask you, what is the greatest Christmas present that you remember getting as a kid? Right? Is there something that like makes you like, so my parents only gave me coal. Okay, aside from you who only got coal, what, what is the greatest Christmas gift that you ever got as a kid? For me, I remember getting as a really, really young boy, the G.I. Joe Sky Plane. Y'all, this had a lever on it and the wings would go and and it had these detachable rockets that you could throw at things like your brother. And it had, it had a, a, a parachute that you could get out and throw up in the air. It had a little man that would come down so you can imagine ejecting from the airplane. This thing was so cool. And I remember opening it and the anticipation and opening it and being so excited about it, right? It had the G.I. Joe Skyplane, which actually would be worth a whole lot of money now. But... The one I had wouldn't be because within the first 24 hours, right, I'd already lost a couple of the missiles. Apparently brothers don't return them. Or, and, and the man got stuck in a tree, and I never saw the man again, I don't think. And so, like, have you ever really, like, longed for the anticipation of the coming of something? And, and then when you actually have it, like, later you're like, well, that didn't last long, right? The idea of looking at Jesus as the ultimate priest is the exact opposite of that. <laughs> if we make sure that we take our understanding and placing ourselves in the presence of him. As we look at the story, it picks up with Jesus 
being brought as a young baby by Mary and Joseph to the temple to be kind of offered in a, our version, their version of like a baby dedication. And when the eight days were complete for his circumcision, he was named Jesus, the name given by the angels before he was conceived. And when the days of purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, so another few days after that, probably around 40, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as it was written before the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 8, the Bible tells us that when you had a young son, you were supposed to take them to the temple to be circumcised and then offered a sacrifice for the benefit of like saying that this child would be covered by the blood of what the sacrifice would cover. Does that make sense? It's baby dedication. And in doing so, you were supposed to sacrifice a lamb or a goat. Mary and Joseph couldn't offer a lamb or a goat. Did you see that? Isn't it poetic and so cool to realize that Mary and Joseph couldn't afford the lamb that they were supposed to so Jesus would have to be the lamb later on in life? which would not only cover the sacrifice of what was intended in the past, but the sacrifice we were going for forward. So that was just free. I just got real excited about that. I wanted to share that with you, okay? We pick up the story in uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 25, with the story of Simeon. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. Looking forward to Israel's consolation, the fulfillment, basically, of the promise of the prophecies. And the Holy Spirit was on him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that the Lord would not see death before, that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. So guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. And when his parents brought in the child Jesus to perform him for, for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and praised God and said, Now, Master... You can dismiss your servant in peace. In other words, you can allow me to die as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all your people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people of Israel. What's going on here? Well, Simeon was old. How do we know that? He admits it. He's lived his whole life, so you never call someone old, but if they admit it, it's okay, right? And he was like, I'm ready to go because he had walked with the Lord in such a dynamic way that the Spirit of God had directed his life. What a great testimony. May that be on the epitaph of my funeral, right? He walked the Lord in such a way that it changed everything. And he walked with the Lord, and the Lord had led him to encounter and say that you will encounter the baby that will become the Messiah of the world. In other words, the prophecies, the first Christmas day had been promised long, 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 long time ago. It was from the line of David. We saw this coming. The baby would give, come. The baby would be coming. The hope of salvation would be coming. The hope of salvation would be coming. Generation after generation after generation, they were longing for Christmas day. We covered this last week. Remember, kids, imagine having only one Christmas and it may not be guaranteed in your life. This was the hope of Israel. When's Christmas coming? It was about to come. And Simeon, out of the anticipation of that, came to the temple and said, 
I'm good. The presence is now here. Emmanuel, God is with us. The salvation to the Gentiles, the non-church people, and to us. Emmanuel, God is with us, and he declares Christmas Day has come. Awesome. Right? But here's what you're missing. Here's what I was missing when I first read this. Here's what we are likely missing is the better way to say it. When Simeon held up that baby and declared, Emmanuel, God is with us. He did not look at this gift as something that was a, well, this is for me kind of mentality that we often do with Christmas, right? How is this present for me? How do we know this? Because Simeon said, you can now dismiss me, even though he would not be able to see the baby grow up. And many in that time expected the Messiah to come and, and come on a, a horse with a sword and to take over the country and the world and to, to be a, an earthly king. And he wasn't looking for that fulfillment. And, and he wasn't looking for Israel to rise to power and smash all the other people because he declared this baby would come as a salvation to the Gentiles as well. He wasn't looking for something other than God himself coming down and dwelling with us. This would be a great gift if we could only understand it more. Now, Mary and Joseph knew that this was a gift. Why? The angel had told Mary, right? And they said that this is coming. And so there was some excitement there, right? But then Simeon goes on and he continues this blessing. Right after he does so, it changes everything. And basically what he's saying is with the birth of Jesus, the church moved from an era of the promise of reconciliation into an era of fulfillment of the reconciliation. Basically, we've gone from hashtag promise era to hashtag fulfillment era. If you don't know what a hashtag is, I can't help you. All right. We've shifted eras. This is a big deal. And so this is, everything's going to change. Everything's going to be great, right? Well, listen to the continued blessing of Simeon, okay? And, and a way to make this more personal, real, when we have baby dedication, we bring the babies up here, and we're all cute, and we all say, hey, everybody, you're going to commit to pray for those. And that's a, an important and a definite, sincere thing that we do. But I want you to imagine that with Simeon saying these words over you, Okay? To his father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, your child is destined to cause the fall and the rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. <laughs> Great baby dedication. Right? It's going to cause the fall and the rise of many. And here's will be a sign your, your child will be opposed. A sword will pierce your own soul when the sword pierces his side of the cross. And Mary was going to have to watch that baby grow up, be a lightning rod to the community, and ultimately be crucified and killed as she watched. What a blessing. Why was this a blessing? Well, in this prophecy, Simeon indicated that some of the Jewish people would not believe that Jesus is the Savior of the Israel, while others would not. Yes, 
He also said that there would be a great opposition to Jesus in his future. We all agree, right? Third, that Jesus would suffer, causing Mary much pain personally. We just talked about that. She would watch him die. But here's the fourth part. Jesus would reveal the ultimate plan of his sacrifice as both the lamb and high priest. He would be our high priest. This is how he would be a blessing. So what is a high priest? This is according to the Gospel Coalition. The high priest played a key role in the religious system of the Israelites, the Old Testament church. He was the intercessor between God and his people, acting as the representative before God. So he stood and intervened before God. God for the, on behalf of the people. The priest would sacrifice, offer sacrifices and gifts on behalf of the people to reconcile them to God. So in Leviticus chapter 16 in the Old Testament, it describes the way this procedure would work. Once a year, the high priest would go into this room called the Holy of Holies in the temple. You may have heard this before. The Holy of Holies was where the presence of God was said to have dwelt. It was behind a really huge, thick veil curtain, and they would walk in there, and it was such a holy place that they feared the, pe- the man who would walk in there would not walk out alive if he wasn't a righteous man. So what they would do is they would tie a rope around his ankle in case he went in there and God said, nope, not good enough, and his dead body would drop dead, they could drag his carcass out. <laughs> Cheery place, right? Can you imagine walking into that room? I mean... Okay, the rope's on me. If I drop dead, (laughs) this will be fun. (laughs) Let's go for it. And in doing so, what would happen is they would pick out two goats, two sacrifices of animals. But one of them they would set free, representing the forgiveness of our sin. So they would have these two, and they would set free this this thing that belonged to someone, but they would set it free into the wilderness. And that's where we get the term scapegoat, okay? This free goat would go free, but the other goat they would sacrifice, covering, showing the the symbolic nature of our sin, and the innocence of that animal would be an atoning sacrifice holding the place. It's like a placeholder. It's like a bookmarker in the story of our lives for the coming Christ that would sacrifice himself for us. Animal sacrifices were ordained by God, to make provisions for the forgiveness of our sins. They were the placeholders, and the animal served as a substitute. That is, the animal died in place of the sinner, but the effects were only able to cover our past sin. So in in other words, the priest would go in, the high priest at that time in the Old Testament, would go into the room and would offer a sacrifice to cover up the sins of the people for the last year. But then guess what happened? Sin. More sin. And so the sacrifice had to keep coming over and over again. So the way that we got out of the sacrifice, because in case you have figured this, we just don't practice sacrifices, because Jesus came and was our sacrifice. So Jesus became what we needed. He became the eternal sacrifice lamb as well as the high priest. But Jesus was and is not just a high priest. He supersedes the high priest with an eternal priesthood, which means we don't have to continue sacrificing. Say, Daniel, can you make this a little more like, I get you, but I didn't go to seminary. I don't want to know all those fancy words. Okay, let's go to Hebrews 7, 23 through 28. Let's explain a little more. Now, many have become Levitical priests. That was the Old Testament clergy. 
okay? Since they are prevented by death from remaining in office. In other words, you can't stay a pastor if you're dead, right? But because he remains forever, Jesus died, was crucified, buried, and raised again, and is still living today. Because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. So we don't need a high priest anymore. Why? We got Jesus. Amen. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. The Bible says he died and was raised and buried again, and that he paid atonement for our sins, so that if you call on the name of Jesus as Lord, in other words, you give your life to him, you have a relationship with God, then you can be saved. And he, since he saves, he always lives to intercede for them. So he still stands before us and says, this person, one day you will die, and you will stand before the Father, and the Father will say, yes, I know him. Yes, I know her, or no, I don't. He still intervenes in eternity and in the present for us. For this is the same kind of high priest we need. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinner, and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as the high priest do or did, First for their own sins, and then for the people. Why? He did this once for all time when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priest men who are weak, but for the promise of the oath which came after the law appoints a son who has been perfected forever. So Jesus, as the lamb, takes the bookmarker out of the practice of the sacrifice in the Old Testament and says we no longer need that. Why? Because the Lamb has come and has sacrificed himself both in the past and forevermore. We don't do that anymore. Why? Because his blood still covers us today. And those who believe in that can have a relationship with him and then God himself dwells within us in the form of the Holy Spirit, and then we have access to God. So Jesus, as the high priest, is not only worthy to offer sacrifice to justify our sins, uh, he's not the only priest worthy, he is the only priest, I said it in the form of a question, I'm trying not to do that. He is the only priest worthy to offer a sacrifice to our sins. He was also himself the sacrifice. He is still interceding on behalf of us, he is the only high priest we need now and through eternity. And, this is important, he gives us direct access to God himself. This is why the Christmas story matters as Jesus as the ultimate high priest. You have access to God. So I want you to think about this. What happens in the story when Jesus was dying on the cross is before that moment, there was a plural room a place, a holy of holies that we were not able to go to. Why? Because you and I are not innocent enough. We have sin. We weren't the spotless lamb. We couldn't go in there. You'd have to tie a rope around us and we would be dead. Drag our carcass out. But when Jesus died, an interesting thing happened. Okay? In Matthew 27, 50-51, but Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and gave up his spirit. This is why he's on the cross. And suddenly, that curtain of the sanctuary, by the way, this curtain is not like a drape in your house, okay? This is not like an inch little thick thing. This was like a curtain, people. This is not like how wide it was. This is, how, this is the depth of that, okay? This thing would be like ultimate depth 
No human being could rip this. But when Jesus died on the cross, in that moment, what does it say? Suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. No human could tear that, but God did in the form of an earthquake. And in doing so, he was symbolically saying, at right the exact moment Jesus died on the cross, an earthquake came and ripped that veil that no human could rip apart, and all of a sudden we had access to the Holy of Holies. Why? Because we have a high priest who is now interceding on our behalf, who stands before the Father on behalf of us, and now that grants us access into the presence of God. Christmas has come. So here's, here's kind of the point, right? In Christmas, we anticipate the presence. But what do those presents really symbolize? They symbolize God has come. And God has come and now can dwell with us, Emmanuel. If you have a relationship with Jesus, he can dwell with you. And so we no longer need a room called the Holy of Holies. In fact, if you look for the Holy of Holies in this building, you wouldn't find a place called the Holy of Holies. It wouldn't happen. It doesn't exist because it's not biblical, right? So we come into a place we call the church. Why do we call it the church? Because the temple is you. What do you mean I'm the temple? Well, the temple is where the Spirit dwells. And the Spirit of God, for those who have a relationship with Him, now dwells within you. So your body is the temple. So if you're sitting there saying, oh, don't cuss at church, right? This is just a building, people. Oh, don't do this in church. Oh, well, everywhere you go, the temple is you. So be careful, right? I don't know if Santa's looking, but God is. Right? And as God is dwelling within you, this should change us. And so what we end up doing is we sitting and going, okay, our body is a temple when we allow the Holy Spirit to live in us by surrendering to the will of the Father through what the redemption of what Jesus did on the cross. God has come and can dwell with you. Now, it's a great doctrinal message. And Thursday, I was talking about this with the staff. We kind of were wrestling with this. And like, okay, so what's the application, right? And I came up with a, a very generic application. And, and I got some honest feedback. And they're like, that's okay. It's good. But I started to let it marinate, you know, because God has a way of doing that. And I started thinking, okay, what, what would I really long for you to understand? What is the hope for this today? And here's what I hope. I hope that as you approach this Christmas season this Christmas season doesn't look like my G.I. Joe plans. Where we are reminded of the presence of God and we open it with a great anticipation and the excitement, but then we destroy it two days later. Instead, I'd like you to look at this Christmas as a sense of God has come and the presence of Him coming and living and dwelling with us is the ultimate present we long for. And the fact that that veil has been torn is a reminder that when the presence, when we rip that paper, it's symbolic of the veil being torn and that we now have access to the ultimate gift that is the presence of God. 
And so as you encounter the presence of God, the reason we practice the Christmas tradition, the reason that you get a present, is to remind yourself of God's gift to you. You have access to God. And yeah, we're going to have toys, and we're going to have food, and we're going to have family, but let us not forget the actual meaning of the season is to remind us that Emmanuel, God, is here and has come, and His presence is the present. And so as we understand Jesus as the ultimate high priest, and we have access to his presence, what we need to do is allow that to come alive in our life. So let me give you a very simple daily training, a way to learn how to do this. This season, when you see a present, pause and pray. But I see presents all the time. <laughs> Thanks for that. That's right. <laughs> Yes. What if I go to a white elephant gift? You thank God for the presents, even though there are gags. What if I, on Christmas Day, what if we pause and remind ourselves that as we're ripping open this paper, it's, it's symbolic that that veil is torn and that we now have access to God himself. What if we really learned and paused? Because I think a lot of times what we want and we long for is to know how to walk in the presence of God, but we don't train ourselves to stay in tune with Him, and we don't train ourselves to realize that the temple of God goes wherever I go. And so every time you see a present this year, every time you see an ornament, just say a prayer. God, thank you for this season. Thank you for your presence. Draw me into it. Maybe you need to pray the present, uh, pray the prayer that Samuel did. Speak, Lord, for your servant's listening. Maybe this prayer, yes, Lord, now where do you want me to go? Maybe you need to pray the prayer, God, I'm here, thank you. Maybe you need to say, God, thank you for the trials. Maybe you need to say, thank you for the difficulties. Maybe you need to say, thank you for the blessings. Maybe you need to say, thank you for your families. But every time you see a present this season, what if it looked like to communicate with God, to remind yourself to stay in his presence every single moment of every single day? Do you think that would change us? His presence is the present. And we are afforded that because Jesus is the ultimate high priest who still intervenes on our behalf and the veil is torn and we now have access to the very holy nature of God himself. We'd love to talk to someone about that. If you don't understand that, come talk to one of us after the service. But church right now, let's celebrate his presence. God, I thank you for who you are and for what you're doing. Would you be with us? you guard us and guide us. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your love. God, as there are gifts under the tree, we're reminded the gift of you that came under the tree of the cross. God, we're reminded that your body was torn. We're reminded that you are the reason this season exists. So God, we want to give you the glory and the adoration that you deserve because you are holy and righteous and good and just and kind. Help us to stay in your presence. In your name we pray.